0: My wife called me the other day and told me with great excitement her wish had come true. She exclaimed, I'm allergic to exercise. Yeah, right, I said. But can this be true? You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Dean Metcalf. Dr. Metcalf is the Chief of the Laboratory of Allergic Diseases at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the NIH in Bethesda, Maryland. He is past Chairman of the American Board of Allergy and Immunology and past President of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Dr. Metcalf is the author of over 450 scientific publications on mast cell biology, food allergy, mastocytosis, and asthma. Today we are discussing exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Greetings, Dr. Metcalf. It's so kind of you to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. My pleasure. Food and exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Is it like love and marriage and a horse and carriage, that you can't have one without the other, that they both have to be present for the symptoms to occur?
1: What we're really talking about is exercise-induced allergic phenomenon. There are people that will exercise and then can actually have what's called exercise-induced anaphylaxis. They can become quite weak. In extreme cases, can even lose consciousness. And it seems to be generally related to mast cells that kind of underlie allergies per se, but nobody really knows with pure exercise why people get these reactions. However, there are some people that get these reactions only after they eat specific foods, and they're often those foods that are more commonly associated with allergies, things like peanuts and shrimp and, in some cases, wheat and so on. And they find when they don't eat that material before the exercise, they don't get this exercise induced anaphylaxis. So a recommendation is if you think it's associated with the food, you know, don't eat for a number of hours before you exercise.
0: How long would you recommend?
1: Well, the longer the better. You know, people will say sometimes the extreme would be six hours, but that's hard. So, you know, three hours, four hours, whatever you can do. The other part of this is that if people are having severe reactions, severe problems associated with exercise, then there's some other recommendations usually made. One of them, for example, is don't exercise alone. If you get into trouble, hopefully you need to be around somebody to give you a hand. And I think, fortunately, when people begin to have these reactions, they can't exercise. They stop exercising, and often that kind of improves the situation and the problem becomes less severe. Some people think that the reaction is accentuated by rise in core body temperatures and things like that and if there is somebody you 're exercise club or something, and somebody has one of these reactions. one of the things you know and if they 're in sweatpants over over their exercise clothing or something, you know, get them out of the sweatpants and things to cool them down. I mean, that's one of the things that you do when you see this happening.
0: Can an antihistamine pre-exercise be protective? Well, it can be partially protective,
1: but you can't rely on it. And these reactions vary in severity. Of course, if it's food-related plus exercise, then how much of that food did you eat? How hard did you exercise? What condition are you in at the time that you exercise? So, yeah, you can take them, but you can't rely on these things preventing the reactions. If they're mild, they probably would work one time, but the next time they may not.
0: Is a leukotriene inhibitor any more beneficial than an antihistamine or does it have any benefit at all?
1: I mean, you could try even both, but here's the problem. And with these reactions involve the release of multiple mediators, you know, leukotrienes, prostaglandin D2, histamine, all kinds of things. And so, when you try to block it with these single or combination of blockers, it's never more than partially successful.
0: Should these patients carry epipens, medical alert bracelets? I'm thinking of perhaps even a child on a sports team in a school. They eat lunch, and you know who knows what they're eating, and then they, you know, two three hours later, they go out and play football or soccer.
1: There's no question if if there's some reaction occurring like this, that there has to be a plan made, and that should include some alert device on their person, you know, if I'm found unconscious, I have anaphylaxis or something and treat appropriately or uh, certainly, I mean, adults and then parents of children that have this problem should have epinephrine pins and in an adult case, prepare to self-medicate or in fact, if they collapse and their friend knows that they have the problem and their friend can administer this, something of that sort, but you certainly want to be prepared.
0: Are there foods that are more commonly associated with exercise-induced anaphylaxis?
1: Yes. It has been reported more frequently with foods that themselves are more highly allergenic, such as shrimp, for example. But some foods that are less commonly allergenic, like wheat, have been implicated in some rare cases. So sometimes it takes a bit of detective work. Usually patients will have a positive skin test or a positive blood test for IgE to the material that th- that's causing the reaction.
0: I was going to ask you about diagnosis. So skin test would be, or IgE in vitro testing, such as the RAS test, would be useful? Yeah, it would be useful. What about an exercise challenge with or without ingestion of the suspected food?
1: There's no question that you could do that. I think most doctors would be reluctant to do that. And most of the time, the diagnosis and the treatment is based on history and kind of trial and error. So, you know, if you think this food is causing it, don't eat it does a problem go away. That's the way it's usually handled it. But you could, you know, if you can find somebody willing to supervise that and you want you're willing to take the risk as a person, you could eat that food within some proximity to exercising and see if you had the reaction. Now there's a problem though, and that these reactions aren't 100% associated. So even if the challenge was negative, it doesn't really tell you absolutely if the next time you eat that food and exercise, you won't have a reaction.
0: If you're just joining us, I'd like to welcome you to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Dean Metcalf, Chief of the Laboratory of Allergic Diseases at the NIH. Just to reiterate one point, the people that have exercise-induced anaphylaxis, they generally can eat these foods by themselves without having any allergic symptoms?
1: That's generally the
0: case. So it's important that physicians don't, so to speak, blow it off because they say, well, I eat wheat all the time or shrimp all the time. And diagnosis, you said, with or without, you can avoid the exercise challenge. Are there any contaminants such as mold or other things that can get into food that may be responsible for this rather than the food itself?
1: No, this is almost exclusively associated, kind of a double whammy where you Getting sensitized for a reaction with exercise, and then you're allergic to a food that's predisposing to a reaction. But at least as far as I know, there are no contaminants that have reproducibly been associated with this.
0: Since you've written many papers on mast cell biology, is this basically a primary disorder of the mast cells and the basophils? Our audience is primarily physicians, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the science of this disorder.
1: There is evidence where people have tried to reproduce these reactions, exercise, challenge, and then seen the reaction in drawn blood, where they have shown, for instance, that the histamine level goes up in association with the reaction, and it's presumed that the histamine is for mast cells and basophils. It's not really understood how exercise itself can provoke mast cell or basophil degranulation but the evidence from the mediators that are measured is that this is somehow other mast cell or basophil dependent now of course when you bring in a second stimulus to a mast cell maybe not just increasing core body temperature or something but really some low-level firing or activation with a a food allergy then it becomes a little bit more interesting in terms of mechanism at least you have one stimulus you know that can be activating that mast cell. There's a general feeling today that allergic reactions do have some relationship to the twitchiness of a person's mast cells, but
0: it's certainly not understood very well. I know years ago, and maybe it's still being done, but Dr. Larry Lichtenstein at Johns Hopkins had an in vitro histamine release assay. Could something like that be applied to the person with suspected? exercise-induced anaphylaxis? It could for the allergy part
1: of it, but there's no way to get the exercise part of it. Dr. Lichtenstein and others really pioneered this test, but the idea is you take blood from a person who has a suspected allergy, you put whatever you think is giving that allergy, let's say peanut antigen or something, in there, the basophils in the peripheral blood degranulate, release some media like histamine, or actually change their appearance by flow cytometry. You can see they're activated, and you say, okay, this is like kind of like a skin test, except we're using basophils ex vivo. And so that test actually is used in some parts of the world as another adjunct for allergy diagnosis. It's not used very much in this
0: country. I guess I was thinking when you said the twitchy mast cell, you're saying, well, these people have twitchy mast cells at rest and that you could somehow provoke histamine release and say, ah, this is a person who's at risk. That's kind of an extension of this. I don't think the
1: science is far enough along yet here, but there's no question that there are some people, for example, that have basophils that don't react very well through an IgE-dependent mechanism. The idea is that the complex signal pathways that regulate the actual activation of a mast cell and basophil could vary from individual to individual based upon polymorphisms and activation threshold of various signal transduction molecules as well as perhaps acquired mutations or some evidence that this exists. The science really has not here caught up with the theory And so while it might help explain differences from person to person in threshold of reactivity during exercise or how much IgE and antigen has to interact with the basophil to cause it or mast cell to cause it to fire, I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense. But right now, it's it's more theory than reality.
0: And I assume there's no animal model for this?
1: For food allergies. And there are models that have twitchy mast cells. There are you know, you can create mice that have problems with some of the signal transduction molecules in mast cells and basophils, and maybe one, let's say, that controls and inhibits activation. You take it out, the mast cells activate easier.
0: Earlier, you said there are many mediators of this phenomenon. Where is the role of IgE?
1: Well, the role of IgE for allergies still remains absolutely critical. It is the molecule that, you know, you develop in response to an insult It's kind of believed historically. Maybe this should have been a parasite or something, but some people can make IgE to something in the environment like a ragweed. And then that material gets fixed on the surface of mast cells and basophils. And when you're exposed to that material, again, such as ragweed, it activates the mast cells. So IgE mast cells, basophils, and IgE receptors are the critical determinants of allergic reactions.
0: So with this EIA phenomenon, again, You have to have a true allergy. You mentioned something about exercising in a warm environment, I believe. Are there other, if you want to say, physical factors that may trigger this other than food allergy?
1: Not that I know of. On a theoretical basis, you could imagine if you were ragweed sensitive and jogging along through ragweed that you might have some bronchospasm and some problems with exercise that way. There's also this phenomenon that we haven't talked about which is cholinergic hives. These are people that get hives when they simply get warm, you know, or upset. That is part of the differential diagnosis of what are called physical urticarias, where people develop hives when they're exposed to cold or rubbing on the skin and then they get some hives. That's called vibratory if hives and angioedema. So there are some physical induced phenomenon that relate to this question, although Most of them aren't directly related to food
0: allergies. I'd like to thank Dr. Dean Metcalf, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing exercise-induced anaphylaxis. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening.